Welcome to the Sex Magic Podcast, where we explore the connections between sexuality and spirituality, the various cultures and traditions of sex magic, and conversations about everything in between, led by a coven of curious modern witches. If you'd like to follow us on social media, our Instagram is Sex Magic Podcast, our website is sexmagicpodcast.com, and if you want to send us an email, sexmagicpodcast at gmail.com. Welcome back to the Sex Magic Podcast. So today is a really interesting episode, and I just want to warn everyone, this will probably be the most giggly episode from me. (laughs) So I am really delighted to be sitting down in conversation with Salvatore Santoro, who I have a personal relationship with from quite a few years ago. Uh, So I am actually sitting in his occult shop, which is the Crooked Path in Burbank. Sal, thank you so much for joining me on my podcast. Oh my God, this is amazing. It, it's wild. Um, thank you for having me. Uh, the, the, the way our lives have like gone full circle and now we're here doing this, is kind of a mind-blowing thing, you know. Um, I, I, do, I do podcasts often, but this is... I've never experienced this before, just simply because we have a past. And, uh, but yeah, thank you for coming to the shop. And I've heard amazing things about your podcast. And so I'm very honored that I'm getting to be on it. Yeah, so it is very interesting that we have a personal relationship. And <laughs> yeah. I will share with everyone who is tuning into the show. Uh, Sal was my very first dom and the person who guided me into the BDSM scene when I was 20 years old. <laughs> and honestly, I, I always tell people how grateful I am that I had someone who was so knowledgeable and compassionate to help like initiate me into the scene. And it really is not surprising how deep you are involved in magic because I think that, you know, we didn't really have that conversation back then, but intuitively I was, I was like astral projecting a bit Mm -hmm. during play scenes. And I talk about this on the show all the time, how kink and uh, spirituality are just so intertwined naturally. You practice that so profoundly yeah it's been a it's been a road um i've always in i've always intermingled them um my magical background you know um started in in 82 so i i I started in you know i grew up in new england uh i grew up in massachusetts and new hampshire um yes tell us everything tell us the story (laughs) so the story is basically from that the, the vanilla story is this is the magical part of it um i very, I found uh, magic and witchcraft by 1982, 8182. So that would have put me at right about 17, almost 18 at that time in my life. Uh, it was the year I'd graduated high school. Uh, my, my best friend, who is no longer here on this plane, uh, him and I found it together. Mm. But, you know, as I've said in, in, in other interviews, it's, you know, mag- it, things back in the 80s, were not as readily available as they are to people now. We didn't have the Instagram or the internet. I mean, people know this, but it was so hard to find a book 
on the occult and on witchcraft from a non-Christian biased perspective mm. that you you really you really had to dig for that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so there are very few books that we had. I think like uh, some of the first books I owned were probably 777 by Aleister Crowley. And um, it's a good one to start with. Yeah, it was way <laughs> too deep to start with. That was way too deep, for, especially for my little mind. Then um, was that and uh, Paul Paul Houston's uh, Paul Hudson mastering witchcraft, and um, that book was kind of like you know it was like a paperback you could buy for seven ninety five, and it was like <laughs> everything with you know snippets of neo paganism in it and the leftover of the hippie movement and uh, basic witchcraft, the horn god, the goddess, the dark, the darker aspects of the god and the goddess. Um, you know, it touched on a little bit of parasigilum and um, Solomonic keys. And then for like a little shock and awe, it had you do the Lord's Prayer backwards to, you know, <laughs> initiate yourself. Oh my and, gosh. But I mean, with all the tongue in cheek stuff that there was in that book, there was some really great things in it. Mm. But that started me off. But I mean, very quickly, that was not enough. Mm. Um, but that's where it pretty much stopped. And then, you know, my friend and I would just do haphazard rituals. And oh my God, we're going to do this thing under the moon. ISIS is going to come. And, mm. you know, we're going to do this ritual. And, my, you know, my friend's blown out of his mind on some kind of drug. And I've been sober my whole life. So I was freeballing it, you know. <laughs> and uh, we, we would do these rituals. So um, speed up, you know, like three or four years. I moved here in 1985. And immediately I found my way um, to the first cult shop that I could find. Mm. And that very first shop, Technically, it was Visions and Dreams in Newport Beach. And I had uh, found a, a class in Eclectic Gardnerian Wicca that was a nine-week course that turned into a year and a day. And th that a year and a day is considered your wickening. And uh, I did that. And then after that ended, I left. And then I went to a better occult shop um, that was very known on the West Coast called The Eye of the Cat in Long Beach, California. And at that point, I met Judith Dufresne, who was the owner. And there was a woman named Rainey and a man named Sterling. Sterling is still out there somewhere. But uh, I did another year and a day with them. Only this time I was baptized hmm. um, traditionally uh, into the craft on the floor in the back of Eye of the Cat. So after that segment of my life moved on um, and I, I, I went through my time with them, I joined the Golden Dawn. Now, the Golden Dawn was originally, it was it, it, it the original esoteric order. Um, it basically was a, a, a come together between different systems. A lot of people that mm -hmm. were Masonic people or the Rosicrucian lodges of, of, of Britain at the time, Great Britain at the time, um, there were these esoteric schools, um, but there was none that was that was dedicated 100% to to magic, to you know performing magic, ritual magic, and so this is where the Golden Dawn was formed, and um, that would have been about 1864, and so that went through a lot of different changes, and uh, it almost broke up and then came back. Mm. Um, it spawned off really important occultists um, by the likes of Aleister Crowley 
uh, Israel Regardi, McGregor Mathers, A.E. Waite, Edgar Case, um, Oscar Wilde was in The Golden mm, Dawn. Mm-hmm. Um, and a very famous woman occultist that, is, that should never be forgotten. Her name was Dion Fortune. So anybody that's wanting to know about feminism in, in the occult or witchcraft or ceremonial magic, check out her works. Uh, she's got two great books that are magically based specifically. As, uh, one is called Mystical Kabbalah, and the mm-hmm. other one is Psychic Self-Defense. So both of those are great books, and they're written right around World War II. Wow. Um, so during that genesis, you know, moving through the 40s, we got into McCarthyism, of course, World War II ended, and a man named Gerald Gardner came into play. And Gerald Gardner was an author, and he was writing about witchcraft. And uh, he happened upon a couple people. Uh, there, first, he met Sybil Leake and, uh, and Dion Fortune and Crowley and another woman named Dorothy Clutterbuck, who is from the Isle of Man, and she was someone that worshipped the old gods. So <clears throat> he took construct of the Golden Dawn material and brought it over into a, a, a modern, more laid-back system. And then it took in the old European gods and created what we know today as Wicca. So this is where Gardnerian Wicca came mm-hmm. from. So that's the systems that I have backgrounds in. Um, by uh, the mid-90s, I'd left the Golden Dawn, and I ended up working at Panpipes in Hollywood mm. with... Uh, uh, a great crew of people. Uh, Feruza Balk, the actress, was the owner of it when I worked there. And we were both students of a man named George Derby, who was my mentor through the 90s. And um, I left there by 96. And then I went to another cult shop <laughs> called um, Raven's Flight. Raven's Flight was very known um, in the Valley, but it was more witchcraft-based. Um, and... From there, Raven's Flight broke down um, after by about 2001, and the high priest of the group at Raven's Flight, of which I was a part, way down on the totem pole, um, he went and got people together, and he opened the Green Man. So that would be Griffin. Mm. And Griffin was someone that I learned from as well. He was an amazing... A man, and him and Raven were really influential on me at that time in my life, and uh, sped up to now. I've just worked in multiple different systems, mm-hmm. and for the last three years, the Crooked Path has really taken a prominent seat in witchcraft yes, in, has. in the Los Angeles area. And people are learning, you know, that you you know, there's all these all these buzzwords and axioms and like what you have to be or what is and what isn't. And I have made it, my mission statement is to let everybody know that witchcraft is alive and available to everyone and that you don't have to be hereditary. You don't have to be a woman. You know, you could be any gender. You could be multigendered. It doesn't matter. It's not binary. Mm -hmm. It's a straight up, just a choice that you make. And then, you know, people come to the store now and, and they're learning about, a lot about planetary magic, witchcraft, spellcraft. Uh, I teach a 10-week course in witchcraft myself and then a 10-week course in ceremonial magic. 
So that's what I've been doing, you know, as of late. And now You've I've been busy. Own, yeah. And I've got my own show. I've got uh, Betwixt the Shadows with an amazing co-host named Renee Watt, who is one of the tarot readers here at the shop. And she uh, has a really great following because she's a great astrologer as mm. well. So that's where I've been. And then, well and behold, Leah comes back into my life. <laughs> you know? So here we are. Yes, here <laughs> Here we are. Sped that up. Sorry, I know I was deviating, <laughs> no, but I was. Um, you just gave like a brief history of the occult of the 20th century <laughs> yeah. and the Los Angeles yeah. scene as well. Yeah, and you know it's so interesting. No one has brought up the Order of the Golden Dawn, or so Crowley, important. or uh, Crowley. It's holy, like Crowley. Crowley. Oh gosh, how embarrassing! No, guys. It's, everybody does that because <laughs> that that actually comes Crowley. from that comes from. Uh, well, you're a little young for this, but uh, <laughs> Ozzy Osbourne did a song called Mr. Crowley, and it was very big in the 80s, but it, he was saying it wrong. So whenever you say Crowley, think of holy. Crowley. Crowley. Crowley is yeah, holy. That's who that was. So yeah, so Crowley, I'm surprised because this is a really important thing, and, and uh, yeah. which brings us right into your you, this podcast. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm flipping in the interview. <laughs> I'm not working. Hey, I'm, the guest. I'm super down to switch. <laughs> I don't know if you know I do that now. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it is really important, I think, to learn about the history where all of these concepts come from, yeah. because yes, we can go back to the roots of you know ancient Egypt and mm. Greek mythology and the influences of those times. But we also have to remember the more recent histories and how important it is to honor these traditions mm -hmm. and respect them and also make them our own. Like I know that a lot of people kind of have certain opinions about the Instagram witchcraft more internet witchcraft kind mm -hmm. of community, but I think it's a really beautiful thing that it is so accessible now. Like these concepts that were behind closed doors and there were so many gatekeepers. Mm -hmm. Now it's just available and accessible as long as we go forward seeking with an open mind and a critical eye as well. Yes, that's super important. That's one of the main things I... I discuss here, um, you know, being an old person uh, <laughs> in the in this world, hmm. um, you know, and looking what I had to get through to be a seeker of the light, so to speak, yeah. to get to the place that I needed to go. Sure, it would have been a lot easier um, with Instagram and Facebook and the media that you guys have in your hands today yeah. um, that I'm now trying to utilize myself, um, <laughs> which is why I got my first Instagram account so I can kind of set some of the things straight and trying to help people learn as much as I can. Um, the, so I, one of my main things that I tell people is there's, there's no rush. Y you want to learn and take in as much information as possible. This is really important magically because um, there's a word that has become almost abused, um, kind of like how in the early 2000s you heard everybody saying namaste. Mm -hmm, but they mm -hmm. didn't even know why they were saying it. They just were at the yoga. They were at the yoga hut there and doing 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 their moves. And then they heard somebody else say it. Mm. So there's a there's a reason behind that, and there's a reason behind everything that we do. And um, that word that's abused is eclectic. So mm. I I have no problem with eclecticism because eclecticism brings brings room for growth, especially in magic. Mm. Um, but 
I always tell my students and people that come in this in the store, to be eclectic is fine, but prior to being eclectic, have a foundation that you can springboard off of safely so eclecticism can then build. Because technically, what eclecticism is taking constructs from others and creating your own out of it. But, you know, to do a spell because the, the candle says green and you, you, you have to use a green candle and this and that, know why the candle is green. Yeah. You know, know what the point is behind it. Understand what the Chaldean or- oracles are. Understand the Greek papyri. Um, understand Kabbalah. Basic, basic tree of life knowledge is really important. Mm-hmm. You don't have to get a thesis in it, but just open up a book and read it. And once you start getting the foundation, all your magic will start manifesting. And it and that is another thing is, is witchcraft and spellcraft doesn't always have to be a spiritual movement. It's a great thing that it's spiritual and it's great to have a spirituality that you can call your own. But sometimes magic is just the art of causing change in conformity with your will. And Mm -hmm. that is, that is a direct quote from Crowley. Um, You know, it's like to a much lesser degree when you want to get into the next room, but the door is closed, you're manipulating the door to get to the other side. Mm. This is what we do with magic. Mm-hmm. Manipulation is not a dirty word. It's a word that's misunderstood um, because manipulation magically doesn't have to be negative coercement in any way. You know, it's, it's just about bending things to get to where you need to go, mm-hmm. you know, and then people start, will bring up things like karmic law, Good, bad, left, right, up, down, black, white. These things are all constructs. Yeah. And nobody, me or any any of us, have the right to decide what one's construct is and what one's karmic will is or law is. If that's what they believe in, then that's good. But don't go into something um, fearing like this threefold rule. Yeah. Because that's just something a man made up. Mm. You know what I mean? So this is where I start, you know, I, I start teaching, you know, some of the theories on on those aspects of it all. A great magician, a uh, modern magician um, said in the book that there is no black or white magician or witch. Just there's no black or white magic. It's just the, the, the witch or magician doing the work. Mm. And if they're stepping up and they're doing something that one might from the outside look at and go, ooh, that doesn't look good. Now you're causing you're, you're calling judgment on something that you shouldn't be, yeah. Because everybody's doing something, and if they they can rationalize and they can sleep at night and close their close their mind off and not have that worry, then it worked for them. Yeah. So yeah, I don't mean to, don't mean to rant, but oh I, no, very, this is this is why we're here. Yeah, I magic think it's is like important to me. Uh, it's just so interesting to me because something that I've experienced and seen and just continue to explore are these systems. Yeah. And there are so many systems, but these are just constructs that were decided upon. And I think that when you believe in something, you give it power. So all of these ideals and um, all of these tools to, you know, conjure or to manifest or to what have you, like we have to remember that these were created by groups of people and that if it resonates with us, then it resonates with us. Mm -hmm. But ultimately I think that these energies are 
you know, you can't create or destroy them, right? And so the energies just fit into these containers of these systems and you have to find the system that resonates with you in order to work with these magical energies. Exactly. Does that make sense? No, it totally makes sense. But you know, this is where you start breaking down the, the concept of what spellcraft is. Is it different than information? I believe it directly is completely opposite of an affirmational system. Um, spellcraft is, you know, to me is mathematics. Mm -hmm. I know that if I use mercury to influence any type of communication or contractual agreement, and I work with, let's say the, the, the herb, the herb lavender, because lavender is connected to mercury and the right appropriate oils. And I set that up with Ptolemaic structure and scale to know when it lights and when it goes out. This is um, spellcraft, you know, yeah. and have I seen it work? Yeah. I mean, when I do spellcraft, I mean, people, people pay me a, a really good amount of money to do what I do. But the thing about it is whenever somebody hires me to do spellcraft, I, have, I sit with them for about 45 minutes and, and explain to them, all the avenues that could come out of this. Mm -hmm. Because the one thing about spellcraft specifically is it doesn't work in a linear time frame. Mm -hmm. It's non-linear. It yeah. doesn't work in our world, it, you know, that way. And, you know, what, what, what are we trying to achieve by using these candles and these oils? We are trying to affect the macrocosm or the astral plane so that it shines back down on the physical plane that which we want to manifest mm -hmm. so it's 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 a mirror image this is where we get that which is above is a reflection of that which is below which is hermetic philosophy mm -hmm. um and that that construct i love is, the hermetic principles yeah it's my favorite hermes trimagestus is an amazing if you ever read the kabillion it's a great book it's so funny because i was raised Jewish, right? Mm -hmm, so <laughs> when I went through the whole program, <laughs> I was like, okay, but like, when do we get to Kabbalah? I wanted, <laughs> <You're a girl>. <laughs> <laughs> I was desperate. I was yeah. like, I even did the confirmation uh -huh. class. I was like, okay, so <laughs> when do we start talking about the Kabbalah? And they were like, um, what? Yeah. And I just, I kept seeking it and seeking it. And Ugh. honestly, it hasn't been until this past year that I have found the correlation between Kabbalah and like the ceremonial magic order of the golden dawn. Yeah, it's all of the, it. it's, it's all Hebrew and yeah. I can read Hebrew and I used to speak it fluently and I'm just really uh -huh, oh, I when I was know that. when wow. I was a kid I can't anymore but I had to learn it in the golden dawn so I had to learn the, the Hebrew alphabet and I know the Hebrew alphabet yeah, and I'm just I like could, I used ready to, learn to it with go the alphabet song that's how I learned it really oh my god we could sing it together I mean I'll keep going oh my god whoa that's so funny but it's just it's so cool because it's like you know all of these energies are available to us and uh -huh. it's the path, you know, like that was maybe it wasn't the time for me to find it. Uh -huh. And now I think I'm at a mature place where I'm really ready to dig deep into certain things that I probably wasn't ready for when I was 21, 22. Sure. And I think like anyone who's listening that might be overwhelmed with all of these new words or concepts, like it's okay to have your path be 
at a different pace than someone else's uh -huh. and that you have your whole life to explore and to expand and to experience. And, you know, this knowledge isn't going anywhere. It's no. actually just intensifying with mm -hmm. all the content available to us at our fingertips, which mm -hmm. is beautiful. And just, you know, having like a really deep reverence to that and, you know, just knowing how difficult it was to find a book and thinking about our ancestors of the past who, you know, women weren't allowed to study Kabbalah. No, they were not until men over 40. And like, you know? just thinking about my lineage and how beautiful and empowering it is oh, so to beautiful. like reclaim that part of my spiritual I think that's awesome ancestral that you do that. path. You know, it's so Super cool. Super important, you know, <laughs> like, like when I, you know, the first thing you do in the Golden Dawn is you have to learn the alphabet, then you have to learn <laughs> the correlated number and the symbol for each letter. Mm. Um, like camel is gimel, mm -hmm. you know, that's like one. But uh, so these, all these are magical rituals. Every letter in the, in, in the, in the Hebrew alphabet is ritual. Mm -hmm. Every single letter, the way you write it, the way it's presented, the way it comes down. Um, and this is also when you do great rituals like the lesser banishing ritual, the pentagram. Mm -hmm. um, that is, have you done that before? I have. I, I just started to study under, I mean, study under, I subscribe to Damien Eccles' Patreon. Oh, Damien is cool, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I've done People the middle pillar and the lesser banishing there ritual, you go. the pentagram. That's so great. So when you're working with that, Yorebohe, Adonai, Eheye, and Agla, you know, that's super important to do. And and you do that every day, and it's going to change your life. It mm -hmm. will, and then after time, you're going to learn about the BRH, mm -hmm. which is the banishing ritual, the hexagram. So that's doing the same thing, but it's doing it on the macrocosm. Amazing. So where you've got the LBRP down here. Yeah, you know? it's like these concepts, um, like these rituals, you kind of start with like yourself and then your energetic sphere in like the more like direct yeah. sphere. So like your room, like extending out to like your, yeah. your house, your community. And then it seems as though like the more you study this and the more you, the more you just kind of like expand, the more you bring the universe energy into these rituals, yeah. if I'm right. No, um, yeah, very much. So. Well, that's the light of Keter. Because mm. you're bringing the light of Keter down into Malkut through the middle pillar, mm -hmm. which is super important, which is why you're sitting between mercy and severity right behind you. That's why those are there. Oh, am I in the middle pillar? You're the middle pillar, right? I'm the middle pillar. <laughs> well, sure. We all, that's where we all should be, right? Yeah. Theoretically, esoterically speaking, we should always be the middle pillar because severity is the, is, is the archetypal feminine. Mercy is the archetypal masculine. And each of the sephirah down the sides are different aspects of our ego and our self and our id. The lower self is what, you know. And sometimes they can be too heavy on one side and not on the other. Mm. And this is where you've got to keep those things in check. But to be perfect, one would be in the middle. Mm. So the light of Keter comes straight down from Ain Sulfur through, down in through Typhiret and into Malkut. And that's super important, especially bypassing Yesod. Mm -hmm. Because witchcraft is, witchcraft is going from... Malkut to Yesod and then back down. So when you when you look at traditional witchcraft or neo-paganism or Wicca, we mm -hmm. are talking about Gardner connecting with the Golden Dawn. Mm -hmm. So think about what a witch does. They cut a circle and they erect a cone of power. Mm -hmm. The cone at its tip connects to the moon. Mm -hmm. That is micro, the microcosm. 
because we're working, you're going Malkut Yesod, Malkut Yesod, boom, 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 boom. It's not going past it. Yeah. That's high, that's high magic. This mm-hmm. is where we get our terms from, mm-hmm. you know, and the whole witch's hat is that cone. That's why that <gasps> ah. was there. And that's why when you cut the circle, it locks into place to where you cut it. Mm-hmm. And that is all the satiation. So witchcraft is satiating need. It's, it's, um, it gets you the new car, the job, the lover, the house, you know, whatever object, whatever you need to get through your life in the microcosm, that's witchcraft. But when you start working with your God aspect or in the Golden Dawn, we called that the Holy Guardian Angel. Mm. That is the light of Keter. That's your God aspect mm-hmm. or goddess aspect. It, it's actually genderless mm-hmm. um, because, it's, because it's the middle pillar. Wow. Yeah, I love Kabbalah. <laughs> and I've been doing it since, I've been studying Kabbalah since, what, 91? Mm-hmm. And I know that much. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's been a long road. And I know a good amount, but all of a sudden, you ta- your guests can't see it right now because we're, we're on audio only. <laughs> but when you look at the tree, if you put it sideways, now you're splitting it into four worlds. So mm. there's four different realms of the tree. Mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. And these realms are different aspects of manifestation. Yeah. And it like we are in we work in Briatic scale. Mm-hmm. In the scales of Bria. Which and is why this is the tree of life. Yes. For anyone who does not know that. And you know what's so interesting to me? I was very into Norse mythology and awesome. Norse magic the past mm-hmm. couple of years. And Yggdrasil is the tree of life. Yeah. It's all of these concepts are just so connected Mm -hmm. and it's just really beautiful to just see these correlations between these paths. Well, they say that it actually, Kabbalah actually comes from the East. They actually think it came from India originally, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, that makes sense. It does. There's so much going on. That's why a lot of people confuse it for chakras, which completely is a different construct, but yeah, um, yeah. I, I love I love it. And this is why we have the 22 pathways. So the 22 pathways are the pathways that go from one orb to the next. Mm-hmm. So essentially for those people out there that don't understand what we're talking about, there's 10 orbs. Those are called the Sephiroth. Each Sephiroth is connected by a pathway. And you 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 move through the pathways within your psyche to work with different aspects of the self. Um, now there's 22 of those pathways and what those two 22 pathways directly correlate to are the 22 major arcana on the tarot. Wow. That's where they say that this is one of the theories on the birth of the tarot because we don't know where it came from. We just know that originally in 1300 was about when it came out, mm-hmm. but there's no actual date, but it, it, each major arcana card falls on the on one of the paths on the tree, you know, and like Gimal uh, is 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 crossing the abyss, which is between Chokma and Bina. Chokma mm. is the gray sphere, Bina is the black, and if you went underneath the path that crosses it a little bit, there's a sphere that is negative, not negative, but it's not seen, called Daat. Mm-hmm. And that is the other sephira. That's it, that's kliplothic. So it's it's the other side. Um, some people don't really work in that realm. But when you look at the high priestess running down the middle pillar, 
she's going to be crossing that abyss, mm. which is another part of your psyche, you know. Yeah, and the high priestess. Yeah, we we see the those certain goddesses or the symbology of specific goddesses yeah. that are you know, the ones who stand in the liminal space mm -hmm, connecting like Hecate. Hecate, Persephone, <laughs> connecting the um, underworld with the physical realm mm -hmm. and the astral realm and all of that. So. It's so beautiful, right? <laughs> it's just, it's, 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 the more you, the more you read about Kabbalah, you realize there's so much more you need to know. Like, yeah, it's so hard. That's why if you, you anybody really wants to understand it, check out Dion Fortune's uh, Mystical Kabbalah. It's, Definitely. It's, it's a phenomenal work from a female perspective, especially. Um, so you mentioned Tecate, and I know that's important to you. So I'm sure we Beyond could do a whole, we <laughs> yeah. could do a whole episode with you and yeah. perhaps we should have you back to yeah. talk about this. But if you want to like touch upon your relationship with Hecate. Okay. Um, <laughs> Hecate um, didn't come to me until 2016. Um, prior to this, with all my studies, I never had a deity. Mm. I never had connection with deity, specifically like from any pantheon. Um, being uh, a bit more esoteric and working with Godhead, which is, again, no gender. Um, it's just the, it's just that space. Um, or aspect of self, you know, that's what I worked with. Um, but in 2016, uh, I met, I met a woman in, well, I met a, a woman in 2015 and, uh, this is where my life actually changed as well. Um, <clears throat> and this is before I had a 2015, that's right around when we, we were together doing our thing in like what, 2013, 13. Yeah. Okay. So 2013, a year after that. So 2015 came in and I met a girl. And uh, this girl is from Greece. And uh, long story short, we ended up getting married. Uh, but hmm. prior to getting married, uh, we were in a heavy monogamous relationship. And uh, she took me to her homeland. And her family is from the island of Crete. Mm. And uh, she was born actually in Toronto, but then was partially raised in the island of Crete. And then go back to Toronto. So, she's in so I went to Crete. And... Uh, you know, I'd never been to Europe prior to that. Um, and that, that basically popped my cherry. Um, <laughs> I got there, and um, it changed my life. I mean, I'm a, you're around the old gods. Mm. You're around Greece. Basically, Greece and Egypt started it all. Mm -hmm. And uh, Egypt wasn't that far away either, but we didn't yeah. go there. Um, went to the island of Crete. And I spent a lot of time bouncing around the Minoan graves, uh, the beaches of Rethymno, um, Heraklion Airport there is where we came in. Uh, and just taking in the culture was mind-blowing. Um, and I started looking at different pantheons and you know, different, different deities within the, um, the, the Greek pantheon. Um, for the Olympian gods. And, uh, you know, it's just neat reading up on them. I mean, nothing, nothing grabbed on at all. Um, so we had actually come home. We came home 
from, from Crete. We flew into Los Angeles. While we were there, we found... Right, I'm going to step back a little bit on this. <laughs> While we were in Crete, we went to this place called Conosos. Conosos is a, king, is, is a palace that was found in the 1800s by a, uh, a British... Um, um, what do they call it? Architect? Arch- <laughs> no. Archaeological. Archaeologist. Thank you, architect. <laughs> Takes two. Greek, yes, I'm so sorry. I'm going ahead of myself. So <laughs> he discovered Konosos. So we went, we went there because it was not far from her parents' home. And as we are walking, you have to understand that in one, one, one evening, Konosos was wiped clean off the earth. So this is pre-Greek culture, okay? Now, if you take a boat from Crete, it would take you about three and a half hours to get to Santorini. Mm. Santorini is a small island, and it ha- off its shore is an active volcano. It sits there right on the crest of the water like it's a mini island. It, that's how it surfaces. And back... Then, one at one point, Santorini, um, the Santorini volcano erupted. Now it threw, they say it was a hundred meter or three no three hundred meter tidal wave from Santorini into Crete, and when it did, it basically decimated the entire Minoan culture, and this was Konosos. Wow. So now this is. I can't even tell you the date because I don't remember the actual one, the actual date of when this happened. But it was very long ago. Um, again, pre-Greek culture, okay? Um, because Crete was its own; it wasn't part of the you know the islands of Greece at one point. So, speed it up now. We go to this place and we're mm. walking, and as we're walking, we're kicking in the ground, and still to this day about the the Konosos um, palatial area is probably about 45 minutes from the coastline driving. Mm. So it's in the island. So we get there, and you can still move dirt with your foot and pull seashells out of the ground from that wave that crashed. And when it hit, people didn't know what to do, so they all just took... They hid as much as they could, and they had these large um, olive oil casks that are six feet high and about four feet in diameter, and they would, two or three at a time, would get in these. Of course, they died, you know. Oh, no. (laughs) So now we're walking, and we're collecting stones, and we're collecting all this stuff. I get all this stuff, make it through customs, make it home, and I put it all in this little clay pot. Mm. That I got. I'm like, oh, I'm going to put this on the altar at the house, you know. And we get, we, we get through our jet lag. And my wife and I decide we're going to get on a Ouija board, which we don't usually do. Um, <laughs> I'm not a big fan of them. Um, I'm too practical for that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> but she liked them, so we went for it. And we started talking to Helios, who is the sun god. It's a great person to have a conversation yeah. with. Well, great, great <laughs> opener. And then he said to us, 
you need to bring those back. You need to bring this back. We didn't what he was talking about. And wow. so we were freaking out. And then I think it was something to the effect of she says that you need to get those back. And we still weren't knowing what was going on. So it ended. I dumped everything out. And all those seashells and stones, amongst them were all the terracotta jar pieces that we that the people were hiding in, we took home. Oh. So that was their final resting place. <gasps> and we freaked. So I immediately took a ball of wax and I put it on top of this thing to seal it. Yeah. The next night, the ball was about the size of a baseball. Mm-hmm. The mouth of the jar was about the size of a silver dollar. And put it on it. The next day we went in there, it was completely gone. What? So it's completely gone. And so we did all this ritual. Turns out she was Hecate. That was how it first came. <gasps> that night, uh, I started getting these feelings for her and thinking about her all through that day. I went to bed. Again, it's like, you know, 22 hours later, right? Mm-hmm. At about 3 o'clock in the morning, I woke up from a dead sleep. And uh, my on our, our bed, um, our, our bed is the, the eastern, it, the head of the board of the bed is the eastern wall. Um, and I am on the right side of it. Mm-hmm. And you can see it. They can't. But <laughs> So I'm sitting there. I'm laying there in sleep. And all of a sudden, I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning. And then out of nowhere, this black mass was at the edge of the bed and then tilted and looking at me. And mm-hmm. there was nothing in it but black. And it sat there for what felt like seven minutes, maybe. Wow. And I woke my wife up. And I'm like, she's here. She's here. And then she's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, Hikate is over the bed. And we both froze. The next morning we woke up. Um, she just came to my life. At that, that night, I started worshiping her, started reading on her. Um, about eight months later, she's like, you have work to do. <laughs> Eight months later, the crooked path was born. Wow! Um, about yeah, about eight months later, and that at that time, I um, dedicated my life to her through um, the Temple of Hecate, interne- like international coven. Mm. There, uh, I'm sorry, Covenant of Hecate. Um, so Sarita de Est was, is involved in that group and I started reading her work. Then we started doing the Rite of Sacred Fires and then I did a full-on commitment and I've been with her ever since. Wow. And our entire store and life at this point, my, my daily life is Hecate. Uh, when you come to the store, there's torches on the wall. Mm-hmm. Those torches are obviously hers. Uh, when you walk in, there's statuary everywhere. Majority of it you can't buy because it belongs to me. Um, but mm-hmm. there's a temple to her here. People come up and they just use the temple and then go home. Um, it became it's become a source for Hikate. And uh, I most recently, for the last about seven months, eight months maybe, I've been working um, with Jason Miller, and he has a uh, he has a course called the Sorcery. Of Hikate, mm-hmm. and uh, that absolutely ramped it up even more 
to where I um, I do nightly rituals every night when I go when I before I go to bed and when I get up in the morning I have my own rituals. So it's straight up like religion to me at this point. Wow. And, uh, yeah, and I work through her and I work in a mandala with her every day of my life. And I ended that course with Jason and now I'm in a second series within it. Wow. So it's just growing and now I'm the elder of a of a Hecatean coven that is. Partially traditional witchcraft and partially ceremonial magic based, mm-hmm. and uh, I baptized my 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 members, got them all in, and then uh, uh, took one of the students who really shown made her the high priestess. Now I take I take orders from her, <laughs> and she's you know it, there's a we have a, a triad of um, elders mm-hmm. essentially plus her, and then we have coverners underneath, and we have a full. Manifesto bylaws and my whole life is Hecate. So sorry. I know that was a long, oh but gosh. that's basically. Don't ever apologize. Yeah. I asked the question. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's just inspiring to witness someone living in devotion to yeah. a deity in such like a serious way. Yeah, I'm serious, serious. Like as serious I was about the world I was from when you met me. You yeah. Know, uh, yeah. You know, BDSM was my religion. It was my philosophy in life. And, uh, you know, not to segue into that. But, oh, I was, I was just about to. <laughs> oh, no, well, I'm just, I just give you the hook. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we laugh. Uh, and I get it. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I think that, like, it's... Um, I was actually talking to one of my friends before... Like I came over here actually on Sunday, we were like hiking and talking about the difference between your store, the crooked path and other shops in Los Angeles. I Mm -hmm. won't mention. Um, and you know, people go to some stores to, you know, get something done. It's Mm -hmm. like, I want to manifest X, Y, and Z. I want to do this. And it's kind of like, um, you know, it's just going like in and out with something that you can't really go in and out with. Mm -hmm. And when I came here on Friday, it was just very, very clear to me that if you come to this kind of store, if you're on this kind of path, you're not doing it to get anything out of it. You're doing it because it's part of your path. Yeah. And that's just like Uh what I'm about. And it's funny because Uh like, you know, you mentioned the eye of the cat. That was one of my favorite stores Mm -hmm. growing up. And it's just, yeah, again, so funny that, um, my universe has been really like connected to yours. Like, It's very weird to me. Even before, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, like we can definitely segue into sex magic and cool. talking about, you know, how rituals and um, spells and all of these things maybe connect. But also I would love to talk about BDSM. Yeah. So, yes, sex magic. So this is a thing, you know, if you got magic, you got sex. Um but when people think of sex magic, um, like you had said in the beginning of the podcast, many different ways of having sex magic involved. Um, but when you talk about sex magic to a ritual magician 
or to a, a person that has a background in ceremonial magic and this kind of structure. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not at all the way people see it as being. Um, sex is used as a component for, for ritual magic to cause change with will. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I explained to you the basics on how the astral plane works and how we want to cause the reflection to bring the manifestation to the physical realm. So instead of using candles and herbs and oils, one can also use sexuality. Mm-hmm. But the thing about it is it's kind of almost like the opposite of what you'd think would be sex magic because when one has sex magic in the in the sense that I'm discussing it, it's not about orgasm or togetherness. It's actually about refraining from it. Mm-hmm. That is the main focus of the magician or magicians when having a sex magic ritual because we use sex magic... Um, you know what? I'm gonna. This is so gonna be the best way to explain it. This is the best. The best way to explain this is also how I used to explain um, subspace theory in my classes. I would teach at DomCon, mm-hmm. or what you know, what subspace really is. It's subconscious space, not submissive space. Mm-hmm. And when we use floggers and we're flogging pe- the person, what are we doing? We're, first off, we're creating an energy exchange. Second of all, it's really not about the dom. It's about the submissive that's allowing you to do this to them. That's mm-hmm. first and foremost. Second of all, it's to get them to a place within their subconscious mind so they can deal with things that they want to deal with, whether it be manifestation or, or dealing with something that they've had buried for many years. So... That connected to sex magic. So what, what we're, imagine the mind, imagine a drawing of a human head, okay? And inside the, the, the brain area of the human head, in the first quarter, we draw a line down, okay? So right down over, like, to where the eye would begin, okay? Mm-hmm. Imagine uh, everything in the front of that is our conscious mind. Mm-hmm. We eat, we sleep, we drink, we shit, we piss, we fuck, and we die. This is what we do with that part of our mind. Mm-hmm. Okay. The magician or witch, their goal by using sex magic is now imagine that line that you drew on, the, uh, on that. Pretend like that's the wall inside of the mind. Now imagine a classic old school camera with an aperture. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's a sh- the shutter system. The lens moves right. Mm-hmm. So the magician's job is to allow the aperture to open on the con- the wall of the subconscious, so we can push in that which we want, mm-hmm. and then have it come back around out into the conscious mind to cause the manifestation. Mm-hmm. Okay, so. This is what you're doing with an orgasm or a lack thereof. When you feel like you're going to pop or you're going to come from an orgasm and sex magic, you back way off. And this is, um, you ask any femdom, this is what they call edging, okay, uh, for men. But you can, and, and 
I mean, you can do it with. And I've done it with women. Anyone. I have done it with women. <laughs> well, let's be a little honest here. I've done it very, very much. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you br- you you bring someone to the brink of orgasm. You bring it back. You keep doing this. Mm-hmm. But for in this case, it's not for training purposes. It's to allow that aperture to stay open long enough. Now, what? How do you get the this to work? What about the magical acts? What's going to pick up? This is where you create a mandala or an image or what we call parasigilum or sigils. Mm-hmm. Um, a sigil can be either one of two things. It can be either a free-flowing figure that one draws with emotion mm-hmm. or it can be a carefully constructed shape that was built off of an alphanumeric system because... Um, you, you like, let's be hypothetical about doing it one, one of many ways. I want a new car. Mm-hmm. You write that sentence out. You drop all the vowels. Mm-hmm. Then you take all the letters that are left and you re- remove any one that's doubled. Then you take those letters and you stack them on top of each other in block format. Mm-hmm. You make that on a large size with the appropriate color of the planet you're working in, sense candles, imagery, ambiance. All of you that put, energy just aligns. Yeah. Then you put that on the wall in front of you and you basically bring yourself to an edge of an orgasm and stop five, six, seven, eight, ten times. And this just imprints that on the subconscious mind to cause the manifestation. Mm-hmm. That is sex magic in the truest sense of the word from a ceremonial perspective. Um, we can also get that through flogging. Which, when you use a flogger... Which I've been lucky enough to experience with you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You know, when you flog, you know, it's not, it's not about beating the tar out of somebody. It's about allowing a rhythm go. So when I'm counting one and one and one, I'm acclimating your body to take a hit. But mm-hmm. what you're also, what's also is happening, the reason that... I, I don't mean to be egotistic, I want to say this, but the reason that the girls that have worked with me are so fucking hardcore, including yourself. <laughs> the reason you are so good at what you did is because we taught your body to take the strike. Yeah. Not out of a violent way, but to allow you to take that impact and flow it through your body. Yeah. You know, and that's just like a spanking. You know, when you spank somebody and you're coming down at a 45 degree angle with the bottom, it's sending vibrations right into the genitals, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. which is causing titillation. Yeah. You know, so this is... All, this goes very hand in hand with BDSM, and um, that's that's how I changed things up. Uh, how what made me? I think what made me different from other doms. A is I'm equally as feminine as I am masculine. Mm-hmm. That's I something subbed, I wanted to talk about too. Yeah, <laughs> and I subbed, and I still bought them, and I have no problem with that because it's not about the ego. Mm-hmm. Anybody that's got that says, "Oh, I'm naturally dominant," that just means you need you need your ass spanked a little more, mm-hmm. you know. Because any any true submissive is a worthy dominant because they get what's going on. And mm-hmm. anybody that worked under me, that trained under me, all learned that way, you know. And that's why I've made amazing femdoms and male doms mm-hmm. as well. I've I've taught some great people out there from that perspective. Yeah, it's so interesting because there are just so many different elements to kink and to like some of the things that like I experienced with you that I see in, um, other spiritual 
practices as well. Like something that I talked about in um, like the, I did an episode about spanking and spirituality and the connections. Oh, I've been so really hot. involved in the spanking scene the past like five or six years and went to the national parties and all that. And something I realized while I was there is that it's incredibly healing for the root chakra to, because that's like literally where it is and it's mm -hmm. vibrational healing. But mm -hmm. also what you did with floggers also is similar to shamanic drumming or, um, you know, just these shamanic patterns that help shift your brain waves literally to a state of transcendence. Mm -hmm. It literally shifts the state of consciousness. And that's like something that I am so endlessly curious about is just how spirituality, sexuality, and BDSM all come together in this meeting place of states of shifted consciousness. Mm -hmm. And I think like that's, such a huge part of magic and they're For all sure. magical in their own ways because of that definitely what yep and these are all really important factors in what in what we do and 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 it does all lay, go together you know i mean everything that i did in training a submissive it was all magical work i mean i you know <laughs> a lot of guys i don't mean to put my gender on the block but <laughs> they deserve it sometimes most of the time um, and I wasn't the most perfect man. I've, I've done a lot of fuck ups. I fucked up with you at times. I've, I'm a human being. I, you know, I, I have my own egos and my own problems. And, you know, I mean, by, by no means am I innocent of all that. But, you know, it, that's part of the learning is claiming those things mm -hmm. because it teaches you to be the better person. Um, but also, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to play with these people just to get them into bed. Yeah, you know that, you know, you know that. I mean, that's that's so microcosmic mm -hmm. in comparison to what I was into. You know, <laughs> anybody could could get that. I mean, it doesn't take an idiot to get laid or get a blowjob. It, it, it's, yeah, if you're using like universal yeah. energy to like, yeah, you know, have that. your will being yeah. bent, you know, by then magic. Go to the fucking bar. You know, <laughs> yeah, go to the bar. It's not go to the bar. Bar mentality. You know. It's yeah. Not, yeah. I mean, it's not slap and tickle. This is a style <laughs> of life, you know, you know, it, oh it was, you know, you know, the things that, that we embarked on and that it being part of the BDSM community is a very sacred thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I, I put so much more of my life into that world, you know, and I've been blessed to have amazing people like yourself in my life, oh. as well as other people that I learn from. And I learned from my submissives as well. Mm -hmm. I learned to be a better person. Um, you know, I also have people like Cyan at, mm -hmm. at Sanctuary, who is like my sister. Orpheus was an amazing protege, mm -hmm. you know, and now he is a world-renowned guy in kink and sacred sexuality. Incidentally, he said to get a hold of him, and he will. Oh come yay! On. Okay, wonderful. He'd, he'd love that. Um, so yeah, these these things are important. And another thing that we we are very blessed to have in the city of angels here is a great kink community. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or at least I I can't speak for it now. I don't know what's going on in it. But when you were in it with me, mm -hmm. we were in a really great space. We had yeah. great people. Yeah, you know? the community was so. And I think still is, for the most part, very accepting and open-minded. And mm -hmm. that 
like changed my life because I learned the language of consent. Mm-hmm. I remember, and I'm very comfortable sharing with this yeah. as a podcast. If you're not, let me know. I'll no, edit okay. it out. Like I remember probably one of the most important lessons I ever learned was like when I had a situation happen with someone I thought was a friend and he took advantage of me sexually. I remember I told you about it before we even embarked upon like a dynamic together. And the first time that you played with me, it was a punishment spanking Uh to encourage me to set boundaries, not let anyone take advantage of me. And you made me write an essay about why I'm worth more than that. And it was just like, Wow. wow, that's what this is about. Like, This is empowering. And as someone who experienced like sexual abuse growing up, like it was incredibly cathartic and healing. And that's also magic to be able to take something that once was painful and a source of shame and um, like trauma and to be able to alchemize that into something that empowers you and makes you a better person and gives you a language to grow past it. Uh And I think like that, that was like one of the best things I got from the kink world. That is beautiful. Thank you. And that, and and, and outside of the kink world, what you just said, this is why, and I don't mean to get sociopolitical right now, but (laughs) this is why we will be victorious in this country again, because we, we are learning from our hurt that we've just gone through. Mm-hmm. And now it's time to heal and move forward. And that's, you know, that's what we all need to do in all aspects of our life. You have to take the things that harmed you, mm-hmm. harness them, and don't let them do it again, you know? Mm-hmm. Don't let it happen again and live, m- move on from that, which is what this country needs to be going through. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it's, it's actually, it's so funny. I somehow, like, was at the... Trump inauguration. What? A group of, um, yeah, back in 2017, a group of me and my friends were sponsored by someone who flew us all out there so we could walk, uh, so we could walk in the Million Women's March. So we all went to Washington, D.C., went to the protest, marched, and the day he was inaugurated, I did a spell. And it was really interesting because I, like, it was like this moment where I was like, aha, Okay, I understand why this is happening. There are so many dark parts of Mm -hmm. our country that need to come to light. And this is the catalyst for Mm -hmm. that change. So, and even though I was like, damn, this is going to be, this is going to suck. For four years, yeah. For four years, and it did. I think that... Horrible. I think that it needed to happen, unfortunately, because Mm -hmm. there are so many things we weren't addressing. Like, how amazing is it that we had such a beautiful movement with the black lives matter movement and so many people are having conversations that they probably would never have had. They would have just continued to live in this bubble of everything's great. And really like we need to take a look at what we're doing to the environment, what we're doing to our communities and to each other. And Oh my gosh, I'm rambling now. No, it's not. That's (laughs) what this is about. Yeah. So I have no problem with doing this. I mm -hmm. like talking about this stuff. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know. Anyways. <laughs> yeah. So these are these are important factors, you know, and uh, 
and you know, microcosmically, we, you know, through the BDSM world, you learned that. But you know, that's what the world needs to learn. Sometimes, you know, they, there's lessons to be learned in all of this. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, BDSM before Ikate came into my life, BDSM was my relationship. It was my love. It was my religion, my spirituality. I'm mm-hmm. sacred. It was very sacred. You know, my floggers were my life. You know, mm-hmm. you know when I when those came out, it was an extension of my body. That's mm-hmm. why when I moved with them, they moved the way they did. And, uh, you know, that's super, super important. You know, and and a lot of people were like, how are you doing this? You, you know, I still get so many people that come in the store and they'll be like, you're Sir Nick. You're, you know, <laughs> what, you're doing magic now? And I'm like, no, I've been doing this the whole time. But, you know, that's just part of who, you know, I did in my, in my room. Now I've got a business, you know, and they're like, but, you're married to this beautiful woman that's not doing this stuff. And I'm like, that's, that's okay. You know, I mean, I don't, I, I, I don't, um, I don't suffer from that. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, Sir Nick is an entity. Mm -hmm. Um, he's definitely, it's like Ziggy Stardust. You know what I mean? Yeah. David, David Jones was David Bowie, which was Ziggy Stardust, right there. It's separate thing. Um, and I love, Sir Nick. I love what he did. I love the androgyny. I love the movement and the flow and the most beautiful, I had the most beautiful girls in LA. <laughs> you know, there you are, you know, uh-huh. and you were one of them. You were, you would stop a room, man. <laughs> you just always Thank did. You. Yeah. And, you know, I was always about, you know, clothing and movement and mm-hmm. positions. And um, just, aesthetics. just so everyone who ever listens to this podcast knows, like when I met Sir Nick, I walked into this room and he's like wearing a cloak and high heels holding these floggers and like going at it with <laughs> his submissive at the time. And I was just like incredibly jealous, <laughs> but it's wow. funny when I met you, I knew that something would happen with oh, you yeah. because that's and actually I happened. You were in Gemini and I freaked out. <laughs> <laughs> that's always my weak spot. It's funny. That's actually happened to me three times now where I like, know like when I meet someone that they're going to be important to me in mm-hmm. my life in some way it's it's a very bizarre experience but it's just intuition I guess but going back to sex magic I'm curious um we're talking about sex magic with a k ceremonial mm-hmm. magic style sex magic mm-hmm. how could someone who maybe isn't in a coven who maybe is single, who still wants to explore sex magic in this way. Sex magic does not mean you need to have a partner. Mm-hmm. It's usually masturbatory. More, more times than not, it's masturbatory. Mm-hmm. So that's always there. Um, but, you know, as well as what I'm discussing, that's not the, like, as you know, because you're very, you're, you're very well-rounded in this topic. Um, it's not just that, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's aspects of sex magic. Now having sex in God form, Mm -hmm. that's another thing. There's also something that you can do like in, in, in Wicca, we do what's, what's called the great right. Yeah. You know, what is that? That, that is the, the, the male energy and the feminine energy or the feminine and the feminine and the male and the male, whichever you want to call it. Um, or bring in and this is the union of the of these deities and you know i've i've been present in gay covens i've seen gay work done both both from feminine and masculine sides and you know even though it the goddess and the god if if they're represented 
the male, one of one male will just play the goddess energy. This is what we call drawing down the moon. Mm-hmm. So when you draw down the moon, you do one of two things. You either vessel deity or you bring it before you and give it reverence. Mm-hmm. And um, more times than not, you're vesseling it. And then you take on that form and then the God, the other person takes on the other form. And then you culminate in sexuality to bring forth, you know, usually done in the Beltane. Because that's the time of yeah, year of fertility. Yeah, we talked about the Great Rite a little yeah. bit. I think in the first season of the podcast, yeah. actually. Super important that, and then and then also, how else can we use what other sex magic is there? Sex magic with puppets. So when I am doing spellcraft on someone, mm-hmm. if I'm doing a binding or 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 some type of. Um, Poppet work, a poppet for those that don't know, is a is usually a doll made of wax or or fabric or just fashioned in some way that you basically breathe life into it. It's an egregore, and you breathe life and you activate it. So one of the things you can do is get semen, uh, sexual secretion from a woman, um, blood, any of these things, and there's a certain alchemical, physical alchemical process that a, that a witch does. Um, to break down those those products, and then you 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 condense it down to a form that becomes physical, and then you put that in the doll mm-hmm. and activate it that way. Um, you know, semen is is really important for any type of. Uh, male generative activity, mm-hmm. just like you know, w- female secretion is and blood flow is really important to the feminine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's another form of sex magic that's different. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah, I think those those are all really great places to start. Yeah. I mean, start. Those are also places to end up. <laughs> yeah. Well, making poppets is one of my favorite things to do. <laughs> I, I make them all the time. I I, I just spent $300 on a mold that Whoa. makes them for me because egregores are so super important. When I, when I, I, I find that I make in the last six months, I've made probably five and they're about 10 inches long by about three inches wide by about three inches deep. Mm-hmm. And I literally will put a hole through the head into the chest cavity and I will, um, I will light mullen on fire, let it smoke, breathe it into a straw and then blow it into the lungs to activate the life. Mm. This is um, not, it's not unlike where um, in Hebrew mysticism, they have the golem, mm-hmm. same concept, you know, where you're making egregore uh, and do work. And also in ceremonial magic, we do what's called an artificial elemental, mm-hmm. which is basically you invoke element into a geometrical shape mm-hmm. and you push that energy into the shape and then you send it into the aether and then in a time release manner, it releases over the area. It could be anywhere in the world for the spell to act in that way. So spellcraft, you know, from the perspective that I'm using it, first of all, let me say that to people out there, if you're you're getting into this, the moon is not the only way to do spellcraft. Okay, in in witchcraft, in Wicca, in neo paganism, the moon is important because first of all, it, it is the representation of the goddess in all her aspects. It also 
in in witchcraft, it's we deal with the agricultural wheel of the year, mm-hmm. which is where we get our sabbats and our esbats. Um, but a lot of people also that are kind of just dabbling into this, they're like, oh, I have to, I want a new job. So I'm going to do a job. I'm going to do a, a spell in the waxing moon. Mm-hmm. Well, they're picking the waxing moon for the obvious reasons, because this is when the moon is growing. Mm-hmm. But the problem with this is what if you're, if the, the you're just starting a waning phase of moon mm-hmm. and you need this job to come quicker than that, not no, you know, in that extended amount of days. Yeah, can't so, wait a month. <laughs> yeah. So what you want to look at is we have the seven ancient planets. Now, when I say the seven ancient planets, this is describing the initial planets that we know. Okay. You have to also take into account that when this was founded, you're dealing with Ptolemy and how he viewed the planets and how he viewed the energy of each of these planets. Um, But what were not included in these planets were Neptune, Uranus, and Pluto, because these are three that are too far out Mm. to see with the limited means of what they had back then. Mm -hmm. So they didn't exist yet, theoretically speaking, right? Right. So he took these because he believed that if he followed them through, you know, through the different Chaldean systems and the movements, every planet falls in a certain space on one day, and then the next one comes in. So now it's 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 it doesn't take much of a brain to realize that our seven day week that we know today is the name of each planet. Mm-hmm. So Moon Day is Monday, Tuesday is Mars. Wednesday is Mercury, Thursday is Jupiter, Friday is Venus, Saturday is Saturn, and Sunday is the sun. Now, the moon and the sun in the modern perspective are not planets. One's a satellite, one's gas. Mm -hmm. But back then, they didn't know any different. Also, Mm -hmm. you're going to notice that in this realm, there is no Earth. This is is the terra firma. This Mm -hmm. is where we are where we stem from. So they didn't acknowledge it as a sphere moving. Mm-hmm. They weren't quite sure what it was. Mm-hmm. So Ptolemy attached certain energies coming off of each one of these planets. And from that system, it also laced into herbs that also turned into oils. Mm-hmm. And this is where we got the structure for herbology and and some of the uh what some of the early sympathetic magics you know um some of the sympathies of magic uh originally or holistic or true holistic magic was they 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 identified things magically by the look lungwort is lungwort because it looks like a lung mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wal- a walnut was supposed to be great for the brain because when you opened it it looked like a brain so this is true holistic yeah, aspects yeah right? we learned about this in herbalist school and oftentimes like how something grows or how it looks like yeah. often really does affect those specific systems of the body yeah. it's and very it, interesting it, it's kind of weird right right so ptolemy <laughs> took these into account and then also put them into the energies of the planets now there's still no color spectrum at this point later we when you start getting involved in kabbalah mm-hmm. 
So you've got the 10 Sephiroth that we discussed earlier. Malkut, which I, ironically, that is the terra firma. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yasod is the moon. Netzak is Venus, green. Hod, Mercury, orange. Tithiret, or Tipereth, depending on how you say it, is the sun. Then you've got Chesed, which is Jupiter, blue. Then you've got Gibura across from it, which is Mars. Then above that would be Bina, which is Saturn. But now you've still got three spheres. Mm-hmm. So those three spheres, spheres, one is the limitless light of Keter. So that is the emanation, the physical emanation of, of deity coming down. The energy, divine spirit descends from Keter and mm-hmm. Ein Sofer. Mm-hmm. Okay. To the right of it is Chokmah, which is the um, part of the supernal. The supernal is the top three spheres together. Okay. And this this creates the divine father, divine mother in unison with with the limitless light of Keter, creating that. Mm-hmm. Trinity right there. Okay. But when I named off these, with the exception of Keter, Hokmah, and Malkut, all of those are each connected to the planets. Mm-hmm. And this is where we get in, in, the, in, in the world um, of Bria, the world of Bria, the colors are specific. Mm-hmm. If you move into one of the other three realms which I'm not going to go into because too far, <laughs> they're going to change color. This is why when today, when you are doing a candle mm-hmm. for Venus, it's green. Mm-hmm. See, but pop culture has said that Venus is pink, mm-hmm. but that's because we associate it with love and love is Valentine's Day and Valentine's uh-huh. Day is pink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is why only in America... When pe- when you say money, what color do you think of? You think mm. of green, but only in the United States. It's mm. really green. Money is only here, right? But it's actually, you know, that it's in NetSack that that's coming. Mm-hmm. So pop culture, you have some slight changes because people want to adapt what they know in this time. Mm-hmm. But you've got to also remember during preceding the Kabbalah coming into it, they didn't have colors because wax was not colorized. Mm-hmm. It was tallow. It was animal fat. Yeah. And that's all the candles were. Mm-hmm. So they couldn't inject color into them until way later in history. Yeah. Which is what, so it's a very modernized system. So if anybody tells you that they're doing a very an, antiquated old spell, but they need this color candle, you can tell them that they're wrong because that was a hundred years back. That's it. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Prior to that, color, when they when they wanted color, what was the best thing that could give you color in magic? Back then, this is why gemstones were so important. Because mm-hmm. they would put them into brazers that would hold light and then project through the colored stone to make that change. Mm, wow. So there's your there's early constructs of planetary magic there. So if you know this stuff, if you know Wednesday is is hode or mercury and mm-hmm. you know that's orange, you get an orange candle. Then you go in to any good occult shop, not just mine. Yeah. And you find mercury a, a mercury oil. If they have an oil that's just mercury, what that means is they've taken various different oils 
that are summed up by that planet and blended them together to make the mercury oil. Mm -hmm. And usually that's done by a certain um, uh, form of gematria, which is magic through numbers. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're using uh, every planet has a totality mm. and a, a, num a numerical sum. Both one is medieval, one is Kabbalistic, depending on the system you're using. And when you take that, you, and this is the um, this is the, the amount that you need. So in this case, uh, the Kabbalistic orientation of mercury would be five. So you'd use five oils that are of mercury in a blend to create that action. Wow, I feel like this is a language that you have to learn. But once you understand the language, mm -hmm. then you can like write poetry. You can, but if you give me, if somebody comes in the store, when you come in, you will see my prices are incredibly low. Um, you can the majority of herbs that we sell are by the ounce, and they're usually between anywhere between a dollar ninety an ounce and six dollars an ounce at the most. Some of them are more, but it's very rare. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you can get a half ounce of herb for five bucks, or you can get it blended by me, all ready to go for for another five bucks. Right. Mm -hmm. So when you when you walk in, you're like, I don't know how to do this, but I want to learn. Mm -hmm. If you spend twenty five minutes with me, you're gonna walk out of here being a witch. Yeah. Because I'm going to teach you here, 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 mm -hmm. get this, this, and this. And then I tell them because now in the modern time, we have applications on our phone that further this by giving us more time. So you've got the seven days in the week. Mm -hmm. But, you know, like I was explaining to you earlier, how you don't want to wait for the phase of moon. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe you want to do that Mercury working, but it's Thursday afternoon. Mm -hmm. So within every day is a planet, right? Yeah. With every hour. A new opportunity is. to yeah. tap into some energy yeah. to yeah. work with your will. Yeah. So you can totally work like every, every, usually at the sunrise of every day, mm -hmm. that's the planet in question. And then through the day, you'll have three times to hit one of the other planets that you need because mm -hmm. they all circulate three times. Mm. They, but just every day that changes. Mm -hmm. So you'll... People, you'll come up, bring the candle up to me, buy the buy what you need, and then I will look up and tell you, okay, go home, write a petition, light the candle at this exact time, mm -hmm. and that's basic spellcraft. Ooh, it's so empowering, and um, I don't know. It's just like once you once you have that knowledge, yeah. then you're really able to transcend <laughs> you can and and cause change with will yeah you know and, and it's important that you know i i also you know i talked about this uh last two nights ago with silver lake priestess because she usually she is uh her podcast is primarily for the goddess in all women mm. um and it's beautiful and i'm all about i'm all about the power of women mm -hmm. i i have been even though i've been a male dom that that's also another part of me that was like mm -hmm. i was into women's power even you know yeah. you can find that you know so i was the first male guest that she had on her show ever wow and we discussed that you know so you know one of the problems is in modern times is everybody wants to put something in a box and mm -hmm. label it as what it is. Mm -hmm. And I belong in this box and you're in that box and this box together, we're here, mm -hmm. but not over there. And, and this is my own view. And I, uh, you know, 
you you can disagree with anything I say. It's your right. Mm -hmm. But my view of of witchcraft is this: witchcraft is a non-binary term. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Historically, a majority of women were slaughtered with no avail. There there was no reasoning behind it. It was misogynistic prick bastard men doing shitty things, you know, typical bullshit that men have always done. They've taken advantage of these women and moved them out because really when you got rid of all these women or majority of the women that were slaughtered in witchcraft, especially in Massachusetts where I'm from, mm -hmm. that was only about land rights because if they moved them off and all of a sudden, oh, your husband's a witch too and your child, now what have they got? They've got a large plot of land that they can take. Ugh. So it's like that. those people that were persecuted as witches, mm. that was a word that the Christians used because they pulled it from their, their texts. Yeah. Because it was the antithesis of what they're supposedly believing in, therefore it demonized the individual. And easy the, to incite fear in the yes, masses. in masses. So these things, this is nothing to do with what, with what a witch is. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So to be a witch in the 21st century, it is to be a being that can change things with will by using the means around them. Mm -hmm. uh, it has nothing to do with the gender. That said, I am all for women claiming their power mm -hmm. because women are goddesses. You are the living incarnate of Hecate. Mm -hmm. You know, to me, all of you, regardless of your age, your color, your size, mm -hmm. women are Hecate. You know, she, I, I, in, in my personal religious time, when I'm alone with my, with my goddess, there is no male energy on my altar at all, ever. Mm -hmm. And whenever I am working with her, I am obeisant. Mm -hmm. I am on my knees. I know I'm not looking up at her. My face is to the floor. Mm -hmm. And I very much believe in that with all my heart. Mm. Um, so it's not, I'm not sliding women by saying that, you know, they're the only witches. I'm saying that you guys, w the female gender, it, it, it's, it's time for them to take back what belongs to them. Mm -hmm. I believe that. I believe in hierarchy and I believe that women are that. Mm -hmm. you yeah, know? I think... I think it definitely is a time of reclamation for, oh, for people sure. who identify as femme or mm -hmm. women. And it's just like, I just think how our ancestors must be feeling right now mm -hmm. that people can just say, I'm a witch and be able to have a podcast and talk about sex magic. Yeah. You know, like it's just, it's a very exciting time. And I think something to keep in mind, like, to continue to uplift each other mm -hmm. and empower and support and um all people all, all people absolutely no. i'm curious like obviously we've mentioned like you have been very comfortable embodying your feminine mm -hmm. why do you think that has been so natural for you and how do you continue to nurture that part of yourself i have great legs <laughs> <laughs> I just look really good. With, I have really great legs and a really high arch. I can't help it. I mean, you knew the moment you first saw me, I was in stilettos, you know. <laughs> well, first thing that I can say about that is um, from, a, from, my, from my earliest years in life, the most important people to me were rock stars. Mm. Um, 
within that realm, which is a pretty broad spectrum, there are, I say there's probably four, four that are super important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, Steven Tyler from Aerosmith. Mm-hmm. Paul Stanley from Kiss. I'm dating myself. <laughs> um, David Bowie. Mm-hmm. And of course, the number one mm-hmm. in my life is Prince. Mm-hmm. Uh, Prince changed my outlook on life back in 1979 when I was a kid and I didn't know what he was. I saw a picture of him on my sister's wall and I said, who's that? And she's like, it could be your older brother because he was very, you know, his skin tone matched mine a little bit. He was very androgynous. He was in a thong in a shower. Oh my goodness. And he was soaking wet and he had these, uh, this amazing body. And right next to him was a crucifix. And he was just like looking up and it was really funny. And I was just like, that. she's like, that's Prince. And from that moment on, <laughs> and I'd see this guy back then, pre-Purple Rain by many years, he came out in leg warmers, mm-hmm. stiletto heel boots, and a trench coat with a thong. Mm. That was Prince. And, I'm, that, and I knew right away, he's making me think about what he is. And when I went back a couple years to like 75, mm-hmm. When Kiss was really big, they did an interview with uh, Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons, and they said, what, what makes you guys who you are? And they were joking around about some people just didn't know what to think of them. And then Paul said, we are loved or we're hated, but we're never ignored. Mm. And that was important to me. Mm. Whenever I walked into a space, it was mine especially in a public venue. That mm-hmm. was my job. That mm-hmm. was, you know, I'm a performer. I'm a natural yes. performer. <laughs> I, I move, I flow, I dance. You claim I, your space. Yeah, I do. And it just comes out of me that way. And I was taught that by those figures in my life mm. early on. Um, David Bowie changing into Ziggy Stardust, you know, Prince moving through his phases. Steven Tyler, when he was young, he was very androgynous, you know, flowy, you know, blouses and stuff like that. And I just wore it well. When I looked at guys' fashion, it was fucking horrible. I'm like, why do I want to wear that? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what, what is stopping me? And then, you know, at that point, you know, in my life, I'm like, well, maybe I'm gay. You know, and I, I, I have no problem with that. I mean, I, I've hung in gay culture for, since the 80s. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at one point during that time, I'm like, I'm probably bisexual. And I tried it. And then all of a sudden I just, it was like, Bleh. I just was like, Bleh. I just can't. It wasn't for me. Not for me. You know, my fr- all my gay friends were there and everybody's hanging out. And But <laughs> genitally, I like women. And mm-hmm. so I'm like, that's not it. Mm-hmm. And then I just started realizing that I am, I am both genders. I am flow. I'm queer. Mm-hmm. I am a gender queer. But, you know, it, it, that doesn't mean I have to put my genitals with somebody else's genitals of the same gender. You yeah. know what I mean? It's just how I identify. I see things as that. You know, some days I'm in here and I've got facial hair and I've got, you know, jeans on. But other days I'm in freaking thigh high you know, wool socks and five inch heels and a dress. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't change me anymore being a dude. And now because of your generation, mm-hmm. respect to that, you know, this is one of the main things about now that's so great, even beyond the internet stuff mm-hmm. is that you guys made it. So it's okay. Yeah. Back in the day, I used to get my ass beat because I was that guy. 
In yeah. 77, 78, I saw David Bowie on Saturday Night Live. And I was so fucking blown away by that hmm. guy that that night I went upstairs, I grabbed peroxide out of the bathroom and I dumped it all over my hair and <gasps> quaffed my hair to make it as blonde as I could, which looked like shit. And, <laughs> you know, I was like 15, whatever, you know. Wow. And I, so I get this blonde pompadour. <laughs> I go into my sister's room. I got pantyhose. I got wooden, a pair of clogs because they were big in the 70s. <laughs> and a denim skirt which snaps up the front. I wore that with blue eyeshadow. Oh my. And I went to school in New Hampshire in the 70s. I got the worst beating of my life Whoa. that day. I, I was beaten so hard. And after they did that to me, I realized that it wasn't that bad. <laughs> so I just kept doing it. And it was oh. from that point on, I knew that's what I wanted. You know, you can't, and I think now I've taken it to a point where I'm trying to get a point across to people. You never know who the fuck you're sitting across from mm -hmm. just because they've got an outfit on. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, again, I'm not trying to be egotistical and say this, respectfully so, mm -hmm. but the guys that picked on me, mm-hmm. For every girl they've ever been with, I've had 10. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I've had amazing, beautiful women my whole life. And, right. and, and it works. So now when I see, I was in Starbucks the other day, and I'm still a little weird about it. I was in Starbucks picking up um, coffee for the morning, and I, I came in, and there was this guy that was here. He was about 31 years old, shaved head, Armenian descent, good-looking, broad very yoked mm -hmm. and uh he wanted me to help him make a candle and of course i'm just trying i'm moving around and i'm like yeah it's my store i can do what i want to do but you, it's still you're gonna have that shadow in your mind going this guy's like i'm a fucking weirdo and he's looking <laughs> at me like I'm doing. and then yeah. he said to me he's like i am so i have so much respect for you walking around in that outfit He's like, you wear that and you wear it well. And he's like, you own that shit. He's like, because you're as much a man as I am. And it shows and it looks badass. <laughs> and I'm like, wow. And that's because of now. Mm -hmm. That's because of your generation. Yeah. You've made it so people can be like, fuck it, man. I'm going to wear this. Yeah. You know, and I'm so I grateful thank, to live in this yes. time. Oof. Oh, God, yeah. I thank you and I thank all everybody in the world yeah. that has made it easy for people that were the kid I was back then in the 70s getting beat up. Those kids that are that way now, they can claim it. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely. amazing to me. I mean, there's still, of course, more work to be done. There's always more work. There will always be more yeah. work to be done. And I think that, like, that's something that we really value with the podcast is just continuing to have these conversations and to show up for more work. Um, but it's just, it really is incredible to see it. And like, you know, I grew up, I went to a performing arts high school. Mm -hmm. So I was, I was in a very inclusive space. Like I, I had a trans friend in middle school and we had gay pride at high school and it was wow. awesome. Everyone like loved it, but we were in this bubble and, you know, you step out into the real world from that and you see that it, life isn't or the world isn't that way. But over the past like 10 years, I'd say like everything's changed so drastically in such a positive way in that realm. So 
You know? That is amazing. And I see that every day. This is one of the other things that, that is about having this store is if I went back to 81, 82 when I was becoming a witch mm-hmm. and I went to a store, if there was a store, there is no way in hell that it would kids would be coming in the way they are now. Mm-hmm. Like I have kids, literally, I've spent Saturdays with 10-year-old kids with their parents really? present. Oh with them God. present, respectfully. <laughs> you know, I've never done anything weird like that. But with their parents present, they asked me to give them witchcraft classes. Wow. These are like witchcraft 30-year-old parents. Kids? Yeah. And there's kids that want to learn spellcraft. Mm-hmm. And their parents are 35. They're millennial, you know. Mm-hmm. And they're like... It's fucking amazing. They they come every Saturday, and they would bring me bring me drawings that they'd give me, and I'd put them on the wall. And we talk about their thoughts and what a dream means and how to make a little oh spell. My, gosh, my heart is bursting. That's yeah. so cute. And I got to do this with these these people, and you know, parents would never have done that when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. we came out of fucking McCarthyism. There is no way yeah. that would have ever happened in society. Mm-hmm. And now the other thing that's that's. Um, at first it was a joke because a lot of my witch and BDSM community friends are coming in and they're like, huh, Sal's got a witchcraft store and it's right next door to a church. That's so funny. Do they <laughs> fuck with you? Exactly. What a great point. I'm like, you know what? They're fucking amazing. <laughs> Those people, it, 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 it's like an ecclesiastic uh, mm. uh, Spanish oh, um, run that's fine. church. Yeah. And when we were building this store in all of its space, the person that had it before us left all this stuff in it. I mean, I'm talking filled up to the ceilings in all areas. So if you've been in the store, you know how big it is. It's like 4,000 square feet. This was filled, and about 50% of that was toys from the 80s to now. Wow. In boxes, unopened. So we had to clean this place out, throw it all out. So where my planter is down front mm-hmm. used to have a wooden top. And I just was, we were unloading and unloading and unloading. And I was laying these things out. And this little boy came outside. And he's standing there looking at me with his big eyes <laughs> and broken English. And he said, toys, Mike, do yours? And I'm like, no. And then I'm <laughs> like, what, would you like one? And he's like, He's like, yeah, yeah, I'd like one. I'm like, go get your dad and I will, you know, we'll, we'll talk to him and you can have a toy. And he, and then he looked down and he started walking away. He's like, he's like, I don't have a dad. Oh. I'm sorry. And um, I was like, well, how about your mom? And he's like, I don't have a mom. Oh. And I just, she start, I just got really emotional about this. Mm-hmm. And so, the pastor came out mm. and he, I'm like, is, he's like, is he bothering you? I'm like, no, I want to give him one of these if he wants it. And so I gave it to him and it turns out that this is a place with children that were from Mexico with no parents. So I took all the toys and I gave them to the church. Oh, <laughs> and, and, so uh, beautiful. Yeah, and that opened up a door mm-hmm. and they're my friends. I love that. That's such a beautiful yeah. relationship. Yeah. The church uh, and the occult shop. Yeah, and we it's the same. They yeah. don't judge me. They don't disrespect me. Yeah. So when people say that, I'm like, they're, they're humans and mm-hmm. they're awesome. Yeah. I don't have any problem with their God. 
you know? Mm-hmm. You know, this is about me judging Christ or any of that stuff. Yeah. That's not right in my place. Yeah. My mom, I've said this so many times, but my mom said to me when I was a kid, like, there are many paths up the mountain. They all lead to the same place. That's so awesome. It's like, oh, yeah. You do. That's such a great, <laughs> great do. thing to say. Well, I would love to ask you the final question okay. that we ask every single person. Okay. Um, if there is one piece of advice you could give to your younger self about spirituality, sexuality, life, anything, what would it be? To myself? Mm-hmm. To your younger self. I'm sorry. You can take um, your it's time. Not, it's not esoteric, really. Mm. It's uh, anything. Um, be thankful for the women in my life, my sisters and my mom, and to treat women with the utmost respect. Keep that in mind and. I think that would be it. it. Would be something around that. It would be just to do it right because you know I, you know, as a man, I've 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 had my share of being an idiot, and uh, if I could relive those anything in my life, it would be to be a better person to to women, hmm. and to to help it help them along the way in any way I can. That's beautiful. Well. Thank you so much for having this conversation with yeah. me. <laughs> this is really intense. This is a really good, a, a really cathartic, mm-hmm. uh, great connection. And uh, it's, it's amazing to see the woman that you've become. Uh, you're, you're amazing. You Definitely were amazing a grown-up now. Isn't that weird? Yeah. You were amazing then. It just makes me sound like a creepy old dude. <laughs> But I really like those. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but yeah, it, you, 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 you. I knew back then you were you were amazing. You know, you, the the acting and just the way the way you you presented yourself. You always had such high, this modicum of, of respect of the self, and I love that about you. And you're such a a beautiful, powerful woman. And Aww. I just want you to go further with everything you do. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me. <laughs> The Sex Magic Podcast is more than just a podcast. We are a collective, a community, a conversation. If what we do here resonates with you, I'd like to invite you to join us on Patreon. But what even is Patreon? It's an online platform where you can directly support artists and creators. In exchange, you receive exclusive benefits. It's a direct form of energetic exchange. If you'd like to join us on Patreon, we have some incredible monthly benefits, such as live Q&As where you can ask us questions every month and tune in to get them all answered. We also have an incredible Discord community where you can connect with other people around the world and talk about things within the realm of sexuality and spirituality, along with monthly resources, rituals, tarot insight and crystal guides to help further your spiritual path so if you'd like to support us and 
Show us how much you appreciate the work that we do with the Sex Magic Podcast. I invite you to check out our Patreon. We have the link down in the show notes, but you can also go on patreon.com slash sexmagicpodcast. 